0: Uh, Dustin Dapirak was there last night as the Indiana Pacers defeated the Boston Celtics. That was the secondary story to the fact that Tyrese Halliburton left the game being carried off the floor by his teammates. Rick Carlisle telling Kevin and Andy this morning that eventually Halliburton was able to walk out of the field house with ice on his hamstring, but under his own power. MRI today. Dustin, we'll let you go ahead and let our listeners know what it appears as though the MRI... Told the Indiana Pacers in regards to Tyrese Halliburton's hamstring.
1: Yeah, so sources say grade one uh, strain, which is obviously the the, the lowest uh, you know caliber of strain. Basically, it's sort of the best news for the Pacers. Uh, so he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. So that's going to be after their upcoming, uh, I think, six games in nine days or ten days, uh, you know, road trip where they're going to start in Atlanta and then they're going to head out west and go Denver. Um, uh, Denver, Utah, Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, Um, and you know they come back after that. So basically, he'll he'll be reevaluated after that. So you know he's going to miss at least seven games, Um, but could have been a lot worse. Uh, You know, could have been a heck of a lot worse, obviously, when you see a guy getting carried off uh, that far. I mean, he is just, I mean, you rewatch the video. I mean, he is just, you know, James Johnson is carrying him like a child, which obviously reminds you of just how strong James Johnson is. Um, But he, you know, it didn't look good, obviously, certain in that period. Certainly Halliburton was was reacting to it very emotionally. That's why the towel was on his head. Uh, So to come through that and and find at this point to be, you know, a a two-week-ish sort of injury, uh, obviously, is, is... great news for the Pacers considering what it could have been. Um, obviously you don't know. It's definitely just going to be two weeks. Obviously last year, um, you know, when he had the elbow sprain right around this time, um, you know, I think it was probably on a similar time frame, and ended up being a little bit longer, a couple more games. I think beyond uh, what the what the you know minimum was for him to kind of get trained back up, and then he had to play with the uh, um, uh, the brace kind of on his elbow that that you know messed him up for a couple of games. Um, so I think you're probably ultimately looking at a similar time frame, which makes it you know uh, it makes it a significant loss. I mean, uh, obviously that's that's tough to lose. The guy's definitely been their best player who's been their closer who just so many things run through. Um, but on the flip side, I think they're better built for it to handle it than they were a year ago and again, it's just it's a much shorter timeline to lose them uh, than what you thought it might have been. It's certainly much much better than you know the worst case scenario.
2: Dustin, I know you mentioned this in your piece, Dustin Puac. Pacers beat writer, you can find his work and this article on indiestar.com and you touched on it a little bit there, but a year ago, they lose nine of ten games when Halliburton's out. Different injury, of course, elbow sprain, bone contusion on the left knee, but they were never really the same team, nor was he when he came back even, as you highlight losing 17 of 20. You mentioned that they're better equipped. In what ways, in your mind, are they better equipped, and in what ways does the franchise feel they're better equipped to kind of – keep the tide and keep the boat afloat while they are without their star?
1: I mean, depth is a really big piece, you know, first off. I mean, obviously they've got eight guys uh, that were averaging double figures. I mean, least, you know, adding a couple guys like Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, whether you view them as whether they've been as good as advertised or not, they are still guys who can put the ball in the bucket and can contribute. Um, and so they've played really 11 rotation guys, uh, guys who have got that many minutes. They've got that many guys that they trust to get out there from, you know, Halliburton to Isaiah Jackson on the low end of that, you know, TJ McConnell. And those guys have all, all made pretty significant contributions. So you, you don't have to throw anybody in there, you know, with this injury that hasn't been playing. And I think even early um, on in that stretch, when, when Halliburton was missing time last year, I think Ross Turner was also hurt. He had his back walk up, I think right before that Knicks game. Um, so I think the next one, he was still out. They had to play Terry Taylor, um, um, so they're not going to have to at any point um, go that far. And everybody who had to have an elevated role last year has at least done it once. You know, know knows what this is like. I mean, for one thing, um, you know, even though maybe you, you you might not have seen as much growth as you wanted to. You know, you have a more more experienced, uh, you know, Benedict Matherin. Um, he didn't have a very good stretch last year, you know, when, when he was asked to kind of pick, take on a bigger role. Um, and, and he, I think that was the first stretch where he started um, at all last season, and he was removed from the lineup pretty quickly because he was struggling in that case. I think he's better equipped. Whether they start him or whether they just keep giving him big minutes and, and big opportunities to score, he's better equipped for that. Um, you know, a, a guy like Aaron Niesmith, I think, is is more ready to take on a bigger scoring role if he has to. And, and Andrew Nemhardt has been in this position. Um, certainly before, if he has to start a point guard, um, you know if he doesn't you obviously have a guy like Bruce Brown that can do it who's won a title I mean like you, you just have a lot more options and it just seems like I mean there's theres a style of play seems more ingrained uh, you know they're, they're also defending better lately i mean just the there's the selfish selflessness the ball movement it just seems to really work well and and the fact that they were able to summon that good of a performance last night uh, you know on the heels of him being injured and come out and have a forty four point third quarter you know some of that's obviously adrenaline but I mean, a, a lot of it is, is also execution I mean it, they did a really good job of Sticking to you know, the game plan, playing every bit as fast and not backing down. And I mean, Jalen Brown was even really impressed. He was just like, you know, those guys didn't. They they, they really ramped up in the third quarter. You, you lose a guy like Halliburton, and you think they'd be a little bit dazed, and they, and they were actually coming at you harder. Um, so I, I think all of those elements come into it. They're just better built, more depth, more guys that they can trust. Um, you know, and guys that are just further along and more experienced in the situation that they should be better. That's not to say that they won't lose some games and they'll probably lose at least one or two games that you would look at and say, well, that's a game you win if you have Halliburton. Um, but I, I think they're at least you know well off enough that the bottom doesn't fall out.
0: Do the Pacers play up and play down? And by that, I mean, Dustin, we see this with teams that, you know, they, they seemingly obviously elevate their game, you know, from Milwaukee, Boston, but then at the same time turn around and lose to Washington. I mean, did they have – is that part of being a young team of the understanding of being able to, to buckle down night in and night out as opposed to just when everything's juiced up?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, that that's but like literally, you know, what Tyrese Halliburton's answer was when I asked him why they lost to Washington in Washington, you know, um, it was basically that that's that's an issue. It's still a young team and is not fully understanding how to how to you know get up for games like that. And and I mean, part of that was also drain, um, you know, just in, you know because they were at, at, towards the end of a long road trip that become that had become longer because of Las Vegas. There was just that was the whole entire adjustment of coming off that tournament, um, and they didn't. Just take that one nearly as seriously, and that was pretty much what you just said. Is more or less word for word, Tyrese Halliburton's answer. It's just a young team realizing that, like, you can't just, you know, get yourself amped up to play Boston and Milwaukee. Um, You know, you have to be, you have to understand and believe that all of these teams, no matter how bad their record is, uh, have guys who can beat you. I mean, you you know, everybody's got guys who are all Americans. Everybody's got guys who are lottery picks. You know, guys that make you know uh, millions and millions of dollars to play basketball. Even the worst teams have those guys. Um, So you're not walking over anybody. Like, it's not like college where you get somebody who's a guarantee game and, you know, that guy didn't have a single mid major offer. Like, everybody in the NBA is good. So, everybody in the NBA can be sure. And they literally say this, that sentence out loud. Um, all the time and they've been burned over that all the time over the last couple of years. And, and to, to some extent it still hasn't, um, you know, sunk in, but I, I, mean, I think it's starting to, I, mean, I think you've seen it, a, a little bit of change in mindset over the last couple of weeks. And then obviously, you know, if they're going to be playing without Halliburton, they are aware that, that they're the team that everybody's going to be looking at and expecting them to falter um, because they don't have a second guy. Um, They have some really, really talented players, but they don't have a second guy that's anywhere near his level at this point in terms of like degree to which they're established, you know, maybe miles, maybe Benedict somewhere in there, but not quite. So some teams are going to expect them uh, to cower and they, they, they they're going to know that they're going to be the, you know, um, to use their phrase, the hunter as opposed to the hunted on some level uh, that that basically that, that no one's uh everyone's going to expect them to lose so their mindset's probably going to change over the stretch but they actually uh, absolutely have had that problem they had that issue you know lost to portland i mean it's just wild you know that they have this many wins this season against milwaukee and boston yet they've lost to you know portland charlotte chicago washington i mean it's it's just wild the the games that they've let slip by and how much better off they could be if they just beat the teams early in the season that they should have beat
0: with tj mcconnell T.J. McConnell's funny to me, Dustin, because, and, and we have I've said this on the show several times, you know, the, here's the blueprint on T.J. McConnell. He comes down the floor, he starts on the right-hand side, he sweeps around on the baseline, he gets to the left-hand side, if there's nobody to kick it out to, then he curls in and he hits a 10-foot jumper, and then he steals the inbound pass and scores again. I, and yet it happens like a gabillion times. Exactly. So the question is this. It's incredible. Uh, it is incredible, Right. Mm-hmm. Is he the kind of guy, is this who he is, and, and he's able to do those things because he is only coming in in spot moments? Or is he able to maintain that level of sneaky, snarky play if his role is elevated without Halliburton and he is playing major minutes night in and
1: night out? I mean, I guess put, I, I haven't seen him do it in, like, 35. You know, like, that's the thing. Like, you, you've seen him do it in, even in twenty. Um, you know, so I, I don't know what changes if he's playing 35 minutes and he's not a change of pace guy. Um, and, and so it, it, it obviously makes you wonder like, I, I don't, I can't, I don't know. Why, even though the book is so obvious, and again, this guy's just not very big, you just think you would kind of know it's coming. Um, but he finds ways of surprising people over and over and over again um, at what he's able to do, and, and nobody really takes away from it. Some of it's just sheer will and determination and, and just ability and desire to play. You know, all out. Um, but some of it's just like, I mean, you're just mind blown that, that he's able to get it. I mean, even last night, um, at a, you know, in a position where the Pacers absolutely have to get a bucket, and you know that, you know, if you're the Celtics, when they they, they actually fell behind one thirty one, one twenty nine, you know, Masterson out there making some great plays, seemed like he kind of heat-checked a little bit. Um, And, you know, McConnell sees kind of where everything is going and everything going downhill and saying, well, i got to go get a layup right now, and he went and got a layup. (laughs) And, you know, it just seems like somehow he's able to will himself to those things. And so as far as, you know, can the offense go down, I mean, like I'm, I'm sure if other teams dedicated enough, you know, scouting a report to saying, you're not letting TJ McConnell get these shots, period. We're going to take these away, you know, cut them off Do whatever you have to do to make sure he can't beat you like that. You know, you probably could, but that's not to say he's not going to make some contributions someplace else, um, that he's going to find a way to create for other people. He's going to make things happen just, you know, when it comes to diving for loose balls and, and, and irritating somebody the entire 94 feet way down the floor. Like e- even if you find a way to take the offense away, um, the defense, the hustle plays, you know, that stuff is going to be there. And he's going to push pace. You know, I mean, he's going to play that fast. um, And you're going to have to worry about him just coming right at you over and over again. I think that's really the the thing I think surprised Jalen Brown was that it, it like Pace doesn't let up. I mean, certainly he doesn't. I mean, McConnell doesn't have the full range of offensive capacity that Halliburton does. You know, he's never pulling up from 35 feet and, and, you know, knocking one down. Um, but he is going to run up the floor every bit as fast. Everybody's going to fall him every bit as fast. And you've got to be prepared for that as a defense. And even that is taxing in and of itself, even if he doesn't himself beat you to the paint.
2: Dustin DePurak joins us, Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star. Dustin, I know I'm fast forwarding some things here, but when you look at the timeline, the news breaking Tyrese Halliburton with a left hamstring strain grade one variety, they haven't released an official timeline, but those that claim to be doctors on Twitter, which is about as useful as, you know, owning a Wikipedia page, say two to four weeks. If we play that game this Sunday, January 14th would mark five weeks until the all-star game. And I know that the biggest thing for the Pacers is getting him healthy in a playoff push. And if you probably asked him, like, yes, that's something you're willing to sacrifice to be able to make sure you're 100% for the stretch run post-All-Star game. But as we look at that and as we map out that timeline, how long before that becomes a real question of curiosity of, hey, how's Tyrese doing? Is he going to be available for All-Star weekend?
1: Yeah, if it's still a problem on February 1st, I think that's when you start asking that question. Um, you know, if, if he comes back or if he's on the mend, or, or if they can give you a timeline, you know, after the evaluation that comes up on on you know right around when they come back on January 21st, you know, then it's not so much of an issue because you're talking about you know uh, close to a month after that is is when the All Star Game is. I mean, you do have to view this as this uh, like it's it's at home it matters. You know, I, I do think there's, you know, I, I, and, I, and I think back to the in-season tournament, there was aware, an awareness on certainly Halliburton's part and on the part of the Pacers that, you know, getting him on national television, you know, just is, is an advertisement and that advertising actually matters for this team because what you're trying to sell is this guy is one of the most fun players to play with in the NBA, in basketball. And, you know, that's, that's one of your biggest selling points if you're trying to attract free agents or you're trying to be able to make trades and be able to keep the guys that you trade for and not have them walk on you when, when their contract's up. You know, what you're selling is, look how fun it is to play with this guy. And the All-Star Game is another great, you know, certainly is a really, really great opportunity for that. Both, you know, him being on TV, but also, I mean, he's the host to this thing. Presuming he starts, you know, obviously it's a big deal that, that he was leading among Eastern Conference vote, vote getters, I think. So, like, that's your your next opportunity to sell. It's obviously be past uh, the trade deadline at that point. So, whatever is immediate will have happened. But, I mean, you're still looking at free agency in the future and down the line and down the line and down the line. The more of these guys that he can get around they could look at it and say, you know what, like, whatever you think about Indianapolis as a free agency destination. Ain't it fun? Doesn't look fun to play with that guy. <laughs> you know, don't you think your numbers are going to go up? Don't you think like, you know, if, if, if you're, you're toward the end of your contract, you're going to get pay, you paid or you're going to do a short uh, term deal, you know, that this guy's going to get you paid, you know, like, look at what this guy can do for you. I mean, like, you know, seriously, like, like even just look at, um, you know, the, what he's done for Obi Toppin. He's, you know, not that Toppin's had a, a phenomenal year, but I mean, you're seeing that He can score and do all the things that you knew he could do. You know, is just a transition rim runner type guy, and he's putting up pretty good numbers. So, you know, I think just getting him on stage matters, and so I don't think it's something to, you know, uh, as quickly cast aside as you might if if it were someplace else. I mean, just the the spotlight is going to be on him, and, and it's something that's... Um, it, it's worth. It's, I'm not saying it's worth chancing a season. It's not worth chancing a major injury or anything like that. Um, but there is value. It's not a thing that you just cast aside. If you're the Pacers, you have to view that, and he has to view that um, as something that is important in the organization. That if that if you know if, if he can play without it being dangerous, it's a good idea for him to play.
2: They're not on the same level, but a lot of people point to. The 2014 NBA All Star game, LeBron and Kyrie linked up for really the first, second time on the floor together. And a lot of people point to that as a, you know, a uh, cataclysmic point of as he's evaluating things in the offseason in Miami. I get it, Tyrese is not LeBron, but that's your large point is the ability to have those type of connections and on a larger mm. scale play with one another on the floor for the first time.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it was I, I think really instructive to me just how much people were talking about, you know, what if these guys link up even after FIBA, after the World Cup, and they were talking about, like, look how much fun Tyrese have, have, seems to be having with Austin Reeves, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, again, he was just best pals with everybody. He's so good at connecting with guys on a human level because he just is really just capable of coming off as a normal person to anyone, um, regardless of just sort of how high up or how, how, how far down. Uh, you know the latter you are, and so that is that like, he's going to have an opportunity to, you know, spend more time around you know some of the best players in the league, and it's going to be his city. Um, and so you know that doesn't mean okay, like LeBron James is going to be like, oh, I'm coming into Annapolis now. All you know, it's just you're, he's going to be around some other young players that he's close with, and the you know, whether or not even if he doesn't attract somebody like that, you know, uh, you know they have friends, they have other guys that they talk to that might be looking to move and say, okay, like that looks like a guy that you could play for. It'd be a good time, you know, valley um, and, like, none of it's bad, and certainly all of it has a chance to be valuable. You don't know what it could lead to, but it's something. And it just gets them around him uh, on the floor and even off the floor. Uh, and you get a sense of what it's like to for, um, you know, what it would be like to play uh, for a franchise when he's a superstar.
0: Dustin, just out of curiosity, are you currently covering the Iditarod?
1: Uh <laughs> No, Maxine has a lot of thoughts about what's going on. Maxine? Okay, uh, and and I
0: I don't, have we met Maxine before?
1: We we, we have met Maxine several times. You have, at least. On several iterations of your show, Maxine has made...
0: Maxine is how how old? My apologies for asking again.
1: She is a three, she's still three, I guess she's three and a half year old Beagle. She'll be four. Oh, that's right, the Beagle,
0: yeah, the Beagles, Beagle's very sure of themselves, right?
1: Oh, boy! Boy, howdy, are they? Yeah, she is. She is under the impression that she is the queen of this of of Parker Avenue, and that everybody uh, must listen to whatever it is. All, all of her rules. Well, she probably so is must the be queen. Violating of... the rules today.
0: Maxine's a sweet girl, right?
1: Now, she is, now, she
0: is. Now, now. Dustin, do you have a dog voice?
1: For her, I yeah. I, I kind of do, but I'm of not of course, because you're not a sociopath, right? Is it right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Like that? Is it like that?
1: Not quite. Okay. Not not quite. It's there's it's higher, but yeah.
0: Okay, care. fair <laughs> enough. Hey, can yeah. Benedict Matherin, Dustin uh, Dustin Opiarak of the Indianapolis Stars, our guest, talking about the Pacers. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Benedict Benedict Matherin now does kind of inherit the mantle of like one of your main offensive scoring pieces. Not that he hasn't always been, but without Halliburton on the floor, can he be a leading scorer type player? without your offense kind of grinding down to have to go through him? And I don't mean that as a knock on him, but does that make sense what I'm asking?
1: 100%. Yeah. No, it's exactly what – you know, I I think it's exactly the question of how – and and, and I think he's getting better at it, but I I think to your point, it's because when you have Halliburton on the floor, it moves – the ball moves so fast. And Halliburton – you know, Matherin can be a guy who likes to get somebody in isolation and, you know – take a couple crossover dribbles and then uh, and then attack you um, and, but take his time and say, okay, like, how am I going to take this guy one on one? And it's not that it becomes, I mean, it's not James Harden esque. Like, he's not that, it's not that much of a pounded, you know, six or seven times before you're finally pr- going to go at the guy and step back and whatnot. But, but ultimately, you know, he's got a lot of one on one skill and he knows it. Um, and so he wants to see what, what he can do with that. And it's different to, you know, just when you're playing with Halliburton, you're kind of cutting and moving, cutting and moving, cutting and moving and trying to get in space. And, and Halliburton's thing with Matherton is to try to get him to more frequently. Be ready to catch and shoot," um, he said. "You know, he, he likes to dribble sometimes. You know, he likes to kind of take a take one um, at least. And it's just like, no, I want you. To, I I put you there. I got you the ball right there. Take it. Um, and so there's been some. He's been pushing I think Halliburton even said, you know, I've been annoying him sometimes. Um, but he started to get better there. But I mean, I think that's, that is, I think a key question because it's just, if, if Matherin, if if you ultimately need Matherin to be your number two guy and you need him to be your number two guy in such a way that you can put him on the floor with Halliburton and that, you know, the situation is that if you double Halliburton, if you bring all these blitzes, Matherin is going to burn you for 35, 40. um, Then he has to also be able to prove that he can play when Halliburton gets to play the, the way he wants to play. You know, he's got to be able to score both when it's being played at Halliburton's pace, and as the guy that has to take over when halliburton is being taken out of the game by all that other team's resources so I think this is it's another area where we get to find out a little bit about him um, you know he's certainly going to be in a, a case where you know presumably you know late in games if they're close like they were uh, you know last night they're gonna try to get him the ball I mean he has a lot of opportunity to grow into this position um, and so again I think you're seeing some strides and, and there's they're slow they're not happening fast all the time and there's certainly games where you 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 know he kind of disappears but um, and there are certain games when, when he, you know, takes too many shots and struggles or whatever. But, uh, you know, that's – I think that's one of the questions you're asking. Yeah, I have the exact same question because it's like he – he is, as you know, Rick Carlisle came out and mentioned. He's like the one guy who can, you know, other than Halliburton, who can create his own shot all the time. That 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 you know that when he wants to, he can get his and get his at any level, you know. Whereas, you know, like obviously McConnell can get his specific shot, you know, and and Buddy can kind of get his specific shots. You know, Mathern has kind of a, a wider array of spots that he can get to where he can get open on the floor or get some space on the floor. Um, but you know, it, it does that ultimately jive with Halliburton? You know, does can he only be effective you know with this group if he's coming off the bench and he's, he's playing in a second unit scenario you know all of these things you have to find out as you're thinking about building your roster for the future and so he's still one of the biggest questions they have to ask when they have to figure out what else is that they need if they're as they try to build um, in in a couple of years towards being a team that can compete for a title
0: does Maxine have like neighborhood friends or, or like play dates or anything like that dog park friends
1: yeah I mean yes not so much in the neighborhood but she's got uh you know She's got cousins, in a manner of speaking. It, right, so she's uh, you know, not a— basically my, my, so, my wife's friends, several of them have mm-hmm. dogs that she hangs out with from time <laughs> to time. That's—okay. And who
0: does she hang out with? Do we know the names of some of the other dogs she's been—like, are there other dogs that are bad influences on Maxine that you'd say, well, you know, I, I don't—we'd rather not Maxine hang out over there. shes a nice girl, but anybody that rubs you the wrong way? She—, she, she <laughs>
1: she she has she has a long term rivalry with a boston terrier named wilson <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah is, is wilson's is wilson a bad influence Trying to get her to drink, smoke that no, kind of thing.
1: Not, not, not a bad influence because Maxine, they, they, Maxine ain't taking it. Just she ain't, you know, she she isn't down with any of uh any of Wilson's BS. But so Wilson's <laughs> okay. entertaining. Okay, Wilson, so, Wilson yeah. is one of the greatest greatest dog athletes I've ever seen. He's ornery as all get out. He would try to fight every bigger dog there is. So he's, Wilson is the T.J.
0: McConnell of the neighborhood, is what we're getting at In here, manner right? Speaking, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely
1: is. Okay, I like
0: that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> very good. All right, Dustin, mm-hmm. we appreciate the time as always. I know you're busy with the, um, you know, just kind of keeping tabs on the Halliburton thing, and, and, you know, we'll watch to see when Halliburton does return. But I know it's been kind of a busy last 24 hours. So certainly appreciate the time today, and uh, give Maxine our best.
1: Will do. Thanks so much for having me. I
0: appreciate it. Two o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. How are you? My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Stephen Holder of ESPN joining us now. And Stephen, um, even though I have read it several times today, I will reiterate it, I guess, for those who are just joining the program. And that is, and because I, I just kind of want to go over with you this, statement earlier today from the Indianapolis Colts. Quote, Jim Mercy is currently being treated for a severe respiratory illness. While... This unfortunately means he won't be able to perform with his band this week in Los Angeles. He is receiving excellent care and looks forward to refer, uh, excuse me, to returning to the stage as soon as possible. We'll have no additional information at this time, and we ask that you respect the privacy of Jim and his family as he recovers. End quote. Uh, I believe Stephen, and I simply wanted your, and it's maybe inconsequential. I, I think this statement probably while appreciated was also somewhat created by the fact that there were those that began to wonder like gosh this is the time of year where we typically do see him more often and of course obviously his absence was becoming noteworthy thus the release but just your overall reaction I guess or what you have learned about this
3: yeah so correct on all counts Um, I'm one of those people who had been inquiring. Um, I have not personally seen Jim Ursay. I don't believe since the week after Thanksgiving, that doesn't mean anything. Let me be clear, but that's definitely different, right? I think we can all agree. Uh, He is extremely public. Um, I, I looked at my text messages. In fact, with him, my text exchanges. The last time I received a text back was, I believe, November 29th. Again, doesn't mean anything. I'm just—is that unusual? It is unusual. Um, he's chatty, <laughs> so yes, <laughs> he's definitely chatty, and I I do hear from him often. Um, in, in many cases, unprompted. You know, in fact, the last exchange that I'm referring to was unprompted. It was, you just felt like chatting and sent along a a message. Uh, So anyway, everyone who who engages with Jim has the exact same experience. Um, So yeah, it's very unusual. Uh, I would say this too. um, I'm not the only one either. I mean, other, uh, other colleagues of mine were were paying attention to one of the, one of the places I see Jim Ursay um, almost regularly is when we go on the road with the Colts. Uh, he is in the locker room after the game, you know, for for the post-game speech. He, you always see him, right? He's front and center. The Colts put out those videos. He's always there. He had not been there of late. I had not seen him. Um, when I say the road, the reason I say the road is because at home, there are back doors and, you know, sort of, uh, accommodations for Ursa and VIPs on the road. It's just a you know sort of a rinky-dink uh, visitors locker room, one way in, one way out, and he you know it's a little harder for them to hide him from us <laughs> because they know we you know we'll want to talk and we'll, we'll want to stop him and and it'll become a full-blown interview. So anyhow, uh, it it's, it was very strange to not see him. Um, so anyway, I don't. I, I, I'm not suggesting anything. I'm saying that was odd and that was creating questions. The other thing that was going to create questions was if he was not at the show on Thursday night and you know, it's, it's other than his family and the Colts, nothing else matters to him more than the Ursay collection. So if he was not present, that was going to create a whole slew of questions. So I'm not surprised we got word today. In the –
0: and we certainly hope, Stephen, that Jim Merce is back on his feet in no time and back to being healthy again. Um, In the event that he has, uh, let's say, a longer illness, or let's just say two weeks, I mean, for the sake of argument, Mm who oversees control of the team during that time period in his absence? Even if he just wanted to take a leave and say, you know what? Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Bali for six weeks and clear my head. Who runs the franchise at that point?
3: Okay, good question. I, I think we have to go back to precedent. And the, the precedent here is from 2014 when Roger Goodell suspended him uh, for, I believe... I think it was well it was a it was a long period of time, and I know he got suspended uh for six games he could not attend Colt's games for six games that year he also was um he also was- was was prohibited excuse me uh from overseeing daily function of the team uh for for a period of time that I can't remember anyway during that period the the team established that Carly Ursay his oldest daughter that she would be in charge. And, and she was. Do I think Ursay was completely detached? No, but whatever. That's irrelevant. Um, so that's what they did then. I would say this, uh, Carly and her younger, her youngest sister, Kaylin Jackson, um, they are the two that I, I would say are, are most uh, most often involved in the daily operation of the team. Carly, much more so. Uh, Kaylin is very invested in the kick the stigma uh, program. Uh, A lot of the team's charitable efforts as well. Um, And she obviously is, is abreast of of what's happening with the team as well. So uh, Carly's there every day. Um, I pull up to the facility most days and I see her car parked there. She, she works there. She's like nine to five. She's in the office. She's doing stuff. Uh, Carly's very invested in the operation of the team uh, she, she's on the sidelines during games with a, with an actual, uh, call sheet that the coaches use. The reason for that is because she's trying to, uh, become more well-versed in and how the, the coaches operate. So it, it, some people have seen that and wondered what the hell is she doing? And that's what it is. I mean, she's not, she's not interjecting. She's not, she, she's not even, She's not even. Uh, they don't even have any interaction with her during the game. Uh, she's really just an observer trying to kind of you know, kind of learn and, and I think master the business. So all that's a good thing, I think. Um, so yeah, Carly would be presumably uh, the, the next person to, to truly uh, run the team on a daily basis. If, if Jim Mercer, in our hypothetical, very, very hypothetical scenario, that Jim Mercer was unable to do so for a lengthy period of time.
0: Stephen Holder is our guest from ESPN.com. Okay, Stephen, let's start looking back at the season itself. You know, much has been made about the final play and the final game and those sorts of things. Um, We now have heard from Shane Steichen. We know that it appears as though Gus Bradley will be retained. Uh, I guess the first question would be this. If you had to pick the area where the Colts most likely will look the most different next year, aside from quarterback, it will be where?
3: Hmm. I like that. Uh, wait, before we go on, I want to interject with one thing. I didn't want to do this when we were talking about much more serious matters, but (laughs) this is funny. I I got in my car to pick up some groceries earlier. You guys were on when I turned the the, the ignition on the station was on. So I I listened for the first few minutes and I, as soon as I turned on, turned it on, I heard a reference to Marty Blake and it brought like such joy to my heart. (laughs) And I also wondered, do your, co- do your colleagues in the studio know who the hell Marty Blake no. even is?
0: Zero question. No question. L- we'll ask no them. No idea. No we- idea. No Eddie?
3: Nope.
0: What was the name? I'm sorry I wasn't paying Marty attention. Marty Blake. Nope.
3: You mentioned it during, what was it, like a video game rant or something? I, I-, I didn't know the context. I right.
0: think that's right. I was talking about how when you do racing, you get people that like think it's Monaco, and I said it's like when you play pickup ball, and you're like, guys, Marty Blake's not walking through that door.
3: Right. I love that half your listeners know don't know who the hell that is okay how about this i got the patino reference involved there marty though, so.
0: mcfly are you familiar with marty mcfly, with marty McFly eddie
3: yes. marty mcfly
0: yes yes okay so we at least brought him back up to the future here or the present 88 right, miles an hour baby let's <laughs> roll let's do it that's yeah. right so Stephen, so, would you like to educate
3: educate the boys on who marty blake is yeah so marty blake was um uh, well he, he was i think he's a general manager of maybe even a even multiple teams, I can't remember. But um, he was, he was a, an, an NBA scouting director for many, many, many years. And I mean, like, till he was like literally an old man. Um, I think he's passed on now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I believe he died some years ago. But, uh, but the reason I, I brought joy to me is because Marty Blake, who I, I have an NBA background, as some of you might know. And I remember at draft time, I would go to the draft camp, as they used to call it, now it's the Combine. I used to go to the NBA draft camp in Chicago and Marty Blake would be there and he would just hold court. And it was like, it was like basically talking to Mel Kiper, but, but in basketball and, and this guy actually knew everything. Cause he was actually the, the guy scouting these guys and actually helping make picks and so forth. He was unbelievable. And he, this is a guy who would, he, I think was one of the first people to start traveling abroad and really, going out and finding talent in Europe and Asia, um, he was he was ahead of his time, man. He really now, was. And you talk about a guy who just like knew his knew his job. He was he was the best. Now, Stephen,
0: here we go. This is beautiful. I'm going to put you on the spot here now, right? And Eddie and Jimmy, you guys can partake. Somebody just texted me within the market that we all know, and like, that said. By the way, my grandfather Jake gave Marty Blake his first job. Working wow. in PR. Now, what person in Indianapolis, of course, Our would be the one? Be Eddie White. would be the one whose grandfather gave Marty Blake his first job. That's definitely
2: Eddie White, Eduardo Blanco. Yes,
0: Eddie White is indeed the correct answer. Awesome. Eddie White is indeed the correct answer. <laughs> of course, there's an Eddie White connection. Yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, right now. Oh man, that's hilarious. The other question in all this, Stephen, before we get to the Colts, is you said that you got in the car. We were talking about something, and you heard Marty Blake, and you, quote, we're listening for a few minutes. Now, what I'd like to know is, does this mean that you were just driving two blocks, or you decided to go ahead and turn it over to a different station?
3: No. So you would, you'll be happy to know – Uh, that kroger is a very short distance from the house okay no that's that's all it was want to make sure
2: we're cool (laughs) i do want to ask one non-colts question but a football question all the same steven while we have you because you reacted like many did on twitter today it's not directly tied to the colts but it does impact the afc south the uh tennessee titans part ways with mike Mm -hmm. vrabel Uh, disappointing last two years but a coach of the year in 2022 and led them to a one seed AFC championship game caught you by surprise. I'm not saying that that's a right or wrong opinion, but I want to know why you're so curious as the rationale for this about face by Tennessee.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that they've been in a tough spot as a franchise the last couple of years. And, and I don't think it's through any fault of his own. Um, If you go back to the, you know, of, of Mike Vrabel, that is, you know, you go back to the, the AJ Brown trade all indications and all of the reporting around that was that Vrabel was pissed about that. Like he didn't do it. He was, he was the guy saying, are we crazy? And, and (laughs) he's been vindicated (laughs) on that decision for sure. Um, And and I just think he has done more, I think with less truly elite, um, you know, talent at, at, at quarterback and skill positions outside of Derrick Henry, who is great, obviously. And I think you saw that on Sunday. Derrick Henry, I mean, what a great game still at this age. But anyhow, their entire offense has been Derrick Henry and just a bunch of guys. And so, yes, and especially after trading A.J. Brown. So I just think that he has, he has instilled a, a toughness in that team that has carried them for years. Uh, it's a disposition. They, they had talent, and they do have talent. But but I think more than anything, uh, they're a team that took on the demeanor of their coach. I mean, we watched Mike Vrabel play years ago, and I see those thumbprints all over his team. And I can tell you, we, you know, we were just talking about Jim Irsay. There is no coach outside of his own that Jim Irsay has admired more over the years than Mike Vrabel. Like, he is infatuated with Mike Vrabel. And I get it. I mean, there really is something to his teams. Now, again, um, there is some truth to maybe evolving and, and maybe maybe his teams needed to be a little bit more cutting edge. I, I don't know. But I also don't know that that would have worked because of the personnel that they had. So, anyway, I, 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 was, I wasn't totally caught off guard because there was buzz. And we were starting to hear that. I know Adam Schefter reported in recent days that there was some instability there. Uh, But this looks like the owner made the call. Uh, She's on record saying this was her decision. So very interesting to see where this goes. And obviously there's the New England rumor and and all that. So it's it's a fascinating situation. And I would assume
0: that head coach will still be his next move as opposed to Oh, I have no doubt. Um, doubt. Okay, Stephen. So back to the Colts, the area that you think they might look the most different, not named quarterback is where?
3: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, Guessing, and maybe this is wishful wishful thinking, um, I have to think it's in the secondary. You know, it's interesting. Last year, uh, Chris Ballard, they were terrible last year. Okay, there's no question about it. But um, to his credit, he saw uh, a young secondary and a secondary that that didn't have a ton of depth. And so what did he do? He went out and he, he, he sort of shored that up by signing Stephon Gilmore and bringing in guys like um, Rodney McLeod, you know, a veteran safety who I thought was great for them last year. And and I think, you know, I saw the benefits of it, but I think you could look at the record overall and, and it's very easy to say, well, that didn't get us anywhere, but there were other issues, right? I mean, that wasn't their issue. There were certainly much bigger issues. So anyway, What you then did was, you know, because you did not take the same approach this year in terms of of bringing in that veteran presence, and then you also had the double whammy of multiple, multiple injuries back there, you were left with an absolute disaster of a secondary. They took a guy who they moved to linebacker and Ronnie Harrison, and then Julian Blackman gets hurt, and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 never mind. Go back to safety. Like, that's a disaster. That is a complete absolute disaster. And and I'm telling you, CJ Stroud had two touchdown passes the other night, both of them involved mistakes in coverage. What else do we need to say, right? I mean, you have basically wasted you wasted the best pass rush in the Indianapolis era, man. Like if I sound upset, it's not that I'm upset, I'm just like bewildered. So I, I just think you got to do something about that. Like, it's no offense to Juju Branson and, and you know, the Jalen Jones of the world. Like, I mean, Jalen, jo- yeah, Jalen Jones of the world. Like, those guys, you know, you're talking about in one case, a, a, a rookie who who barely played this year because he was hurt, and then another guy who, who was, I think, a seventh-round pick. So, I mean, what are we even talking about, you know? Yeah, you got, yeah, you had coverage bust. No kidding. Stephen, so anyway, I think that's where they should make the biggest changes.
0: Let's talk about one of their their clearly most dire or dire is the wrong word, most urgent areas that they're gonna have to address, and that's the Michael Pittman contract situation. Let me throw you a yeah. um a perspective and you tell me if you think there's any accuracy to it. The I think the thought process is that they're gonna have to and they are gonna have to pay Michael Pittman. Yeah. But Is it possible that it's not going to break the bank as much as people might think because while he is obviously a great player and has played very well and done everything the Colts have asked, other teams would see Michael Pittman as a player that has been great for the Colts because it's what the Colts need and that it doesn't necessarily translate to them getting the same production within their offense and thus he might be financially worth more to the Colts than he would be to X team elsewhere. Does that make sense? What I'm saying?
3: Yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, I I think it depends on your perspective. I, I tend to disagree. And here's why I, I would say this, you are correct on one in one respect. I think that you are correct in that he's, he has more value to the Colts. And, but that's, I think that for a different reason, I think because the Colts have such a drop off behind him that and, and, and it's very hard to replace him. You know, we're not talking about just adding depth. You're talking about if he walks or if you decide to let him walk, you're talking about not just, oh, we got to get a receiver. No, you have to get a receiver who can handle that level of production, give you that level of production. Where are you going to find that guy? That is very difficult to do. It's not for a lack of trying. They have tried. They can't find that because it's hard to find. It's not out there. Um, you have to generate that or, excuse me, you have to develop that via the draft or or else you just got to pay through the nose to do it. So I don't think he's easily replaceable at all. Um, I would say the, the reason I disagree to a degree with what you're saying is this or the theory, I actually think, and Michael Pittman I know feels this way, Michael Pittman, if he were in a, a more – um, ideal situation. I think his numbers would be pretty stunning. And it, as it is, I mean, he's got, a, I think, 1,180 yards, even as it is. But I think one of the things that didn't happen this year was I, I think he lost out on a lot of yards after catch that, that could have been at his disposal, could have been there for him. And and he that happened because of what we saw on fourth down the other night which is the quarterback being off, off target. How many times this year, I know if you watch the Colts on any regular basis, how many times this year did you see Michael Pittman have to contort his body and go up and climb the ladder and make a, a catch in midair that he would generally come down with? I actually give him a lot of credit. He did it on a regular basis because the ball wasn't accurate. So I just think if he were, if he were to go to, say, Kansas City, and I'm, I'm not saying that he's even on the table. I'm just giving an example. Somewhere like that, you have scheme consistency, quarterback consistency, all of those things already in place. Oh my God, it, it would be it would be unbelievable. I think he he is not he is not a guy who's going to go run a four three. He's not Tyree Hill. We know all that, but he is a guy who who still has an ability to produce after the catch because he's big and a good runner and and has a huge cash radius to begin with. So, yeah, I, I think Michael Pittman has even more upside we haven't seen.
2: You're 1,000% right about the Kansas City point, but there's not time for me to get into that. I'm going to take the fan hat off, and I'm going to go back <laughs> into – do we need receivers? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Again, that's a conversation that uh, would take up far too much time. Building off of Jake's question, though, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com joins us. The pulse right now – and maybe you haven't had these conversations directly yet, Stephen, but I know they'll be happening in the coming weeks and months – I view it the same way you do. They cannot afford to let him walk. If there's a scenario where they get an inkling that they may get outbid or they don't even want to chance that, is it no questions asked they're going to tag him?
3: Oh, I think so. Yeah. I I absolutely expect that if it, if it comes to it, Um, you know, you don't really want to tag your guys. If you, if you're really truly trying to reach a long-term deal because it only adds acrimony to the situation or it potentially adds acrimony. But I would say Michael Pittman's comments yesterday tell me that he gets it. He understands it. His father played in the NFL. And, and by his comments, what I mean is uh, he said on the record to us, uh, we he was asked about the franchise tag, and his response is, well, you know, $23 million sounds good, but you know, do I want to play on the tag because of the lack of flexibility? No. It's a one-year deal, and it restricts you in free agency. But he said – but it can also be a launching pad to you know, allow you to continue negotiating. And so my reaction to that is I'm actually fine negotiating with a guy like Michael Pittman, who is business savvy, who understands it. He's unemotional about it, right? I think sometimes contract negotiations get so emotional. You know, we, we saw that with my, with uh, Jonathan Taylor this year. Uh, it would be, I think it will be very different with Michael Pittman just because number one, his market is different and his situation is different, but also because he, he gets it. He just, he understands this. He's been thinking about it a long time. I'm sure he and his agents have been strategizing. Uh, I think it'll be a very honest and above-board conversation, and they'll figure it out.
0: Stephen, a couple of weeks ago, Stephen Holder ESPN.com is our guest. A couple of weeks ago, you and I went to a Pacer game. Um, afterwards, you didn't realize it, but you left a water bottle in the car. And I was cleaning out my car and, and found the water bottle. And as I tipped over the water bottle, lo and behold, guess what, fellas, popped out. But none less than a genie, Robin the Genie. Man, I've been looking for him I for know. a couple weeks. And Robin the <laughs> Genie, when I released him, said he wanted to come in studio to ask Stephen a question. I said, sure, you can do that. So we're going to give right. the floor Now goes to Robin the Genie. Stephen, my question for you. It is week nine of the NFL season next year, and the Colts have a sizable fourth-quarter lead, so they bench their quarterback, Anthony Richardson. But, Stephen Holder, please, at this time, tell me, who is the quarterback that comes in in relief duty as the backup? And if you are correct, I will give you $1 million next year in week number nine. Even though he doesn't always pay. Tell me, Stephen Holder, who is your guess on who that quarterback will be?
3: Oh man, this is a, the, the stakes are high here, man. A million bucks, Boy, what am What is my first purchase, man? So, uh, I here's one. Here's more one. stock in the uh, company. That's thought, right. right. Yeah, it's the most valuable thing. That's right. That's right. Uh, so here's one. This is food for thought. How do you like this, Tyler Huntley? Wow, Captain Ravens backup. Okay. Thought, yeah, thought provoking, right? Listen, he's a guy... I have I recorded think, your answer. A, <laughs> I don't think he's a guy who necessarily gets a starting job. He's going to try, I presume. And maybe the Ravens just say, no, we don't let this guy go. We're keeping him. I don't know. But he's intriguing. And he has a similar style to, to Anthony Richardson. I mean, they have almost an identical style. Right? So in terms of what the things that they're good at. So it would be interesting. I mean, you could, you, you almost don't lose, you know, sort of the, the, your favorite parts of the playbook. If Huntley has to play, this is super hypothetical, obviously. Um, only the, only the genie knows, but I mean, <laughs> I would say it depends on, on what his market is. out is it, there. You know, for, for that so we'll reason,
0: say, Steven, you make it a, a really interesting point in terms of style of play. Does it make in any way, shape, or form? Does it make for a challenge for Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen this year to be able to completely itemize the weapons they have offensively because of a potentially totally different style they will use with Anthony Richardson than they did with Gardner Minshew?
3: Um, no, I think because I think they they know what it looks like, so it won't be that hard. It uh, they just have to kind of. Adjust their thinking, if maybe on some guys, but no, I don't. I don't think it's hard. They 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 spent all of the off season and all of training camp getting Anthony Richardson ready, right? So so they they know what the offense they they know what they want the offense to look like when when he's out there, you know. So I don't I don't think it'll be that difficult. Uh, it really just boils down to a matter of. You know, what do they want and what do they want to do? Um, they won't be hard. I don't think so.
2: I finally figured out Robin's gambit. It's stock options. That's what it is. That's why I'm not getting cash. He That's doesn't right. include that That's in right. the disclaimer, but it's stock options for the company. Penny That's, stocks. Yeah, That's okay. All right. All the,
0: well, actually, it's mostly <laughs> cryptocurrency. Ah, okay. Steven, just so you know, we we do know that Robin the Genie's big on cryptocurrency. So you never know actually when you're going to be able to cash in.
3: Oh, well, yeah, that's that's totally a, a for-sure thing, so I, I appreciate
0: Big
2: that. on GameStop, too. He's actually trying to re- recreate right. that magic from a couple years ago. Uh,
0: last question for you, Steven. In terms of the next week or so, what are kind of the next – you know, the season is so funny because it just ends, right? It's just over. Yeah. Um, you know, usually there's like a year-end press conference where they kind of go over everything. Uh, where do things stand in terms of the next week or two? What's kind of the next step here for people to anticipate?
3: Okay. Well, in terms of voices, you will hear from Chris Ballard as early as this week. Um, we're we're nailing that down. So don't have a, a, a for sure answer yet, but that will happen. And I think that'll be interesting because, you know, it, it's going to be so different than last year. Really, we haven't talked to him, I don't think, in an interview setting uh, since the preseason, you know, when they were coming off a, a four-win season. So... So very interesting. I want to hear what he thinks about the direction of the team, how close he thinks they are. Shane Steichen thinks they're close to something. Uh, I want to hear what Ballard thinks. And, and if he agrees, then what does that do in terms of uh, altering his team building approach? You know, we debate this all the time. I want to hear that answer. What does, what do the results of this season, which were massively different than than expectations, what does that do for informing his next move? And then beyond that, uh, I really think it just boils down to, uh, you know, settling any potential coaching staff moves they may have. I don't anticipate a lot, but but you can never say never. And, and there's always some movement on coaching staffs. So we'll see.
0: Stephen, we appreciate not only your time, but we also strongly encourage you next time that when you've got to go to Kroger, that you go to the one in Dayton and you listen the entire way there and back. How's that?
3: (laughs) Okay. Will my signal uh, stay up
0: all the way? We'll see. We have the app just for you, Stephen, as you know, right? Oh, technology stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, listen believe it or not it is possible to both know marty blake and modern technology i you know <laughs> oh trust me <laughs> i have I, I, car play all day <laughs> yeah i am actually i do know that for a fact too that was along uh, with right. the water bottle Stephen, appreciate That's it right. man see you guys all right Stephen holder espn.com steven's got a nice ride by the way so i lied actually i didn't drive he, he drove and then i just the water bottle was his though but he does have a nice car